Hey there, I'm Julie, and this is the Married to Addiction podcast. If you're here, then you're probably what I call my secret sister. We're in a situation we never asked to be in and fighting a battle we never wanted to fight. We're faith-filled women who are married to an alcoholic, and it affects every inch of our lives. If that sounds like you, then this is a safe place for you to land. Married to Addiction is a faith-based podcast where I help you find the tools and strength you need to navigate your husband's addiction without losing yourself in the process. So please subscribe and tune in as often as you can, because your husband's recovery is important, but so is yours. Well, hello, October. Here we are, already in a new month, and I can't believe that the holidays are coming. This year has just flown by. So with a new month, of course, comes a new bonus for those who join the Secret Sister Circle. So I'm really excited to announce that for the month of October, if you join the Secret Sister Circle, you will receive the Married to Addiction devotional ebook absolutely free. Now, this is not available anywhere else right now. The only way you can get it is if you, if, as a bonus, if you join the Secret Sister Circle. So this is a devotional that was written specifically for the wife of an alcoholic, of course. It is a great source for you if you are feeling far away from God right now, which a lot of us go through that when we're walking this path with an addicted husband. This devotional has for each day a Bible verse, an encouraging passage for you, and a prayer to help guide you through this difficult season. So it's going to help you withstand the storm, bring you closer to the comfort of God, and just really be a a source of daily inspiration for you. So I would love to gift this to you if you join the Secret Sister Circle. To do so, all you have to do is just head to the website, MarriedToAddiction.com, and click on the drop down for Get Help, and you will see the link for the Secret Sister Circle right there. I can't wait to welcome you in. Hello, and welcome to episode 59 of the Married to Addiction podcast. Today's episode is actually a Q&A. So what I did was I sent out an email to my email list. By the way, if you're not on my email list, you should totally get on it. Um, you can also get on it by requesting my free coaching workbook. So if you don't have that yet, I would love to give that to you. That's a free 40-page coaching workbook. And all you have to do to get that is just to go to my website, MarriedToAddiction.com, and you'll see a little drop down right up there at the top that says uh, free coaching workbook. But at any rate, I sent an email out to my list and I said, hey, what are some questions you have as the wife of an alcoholic? So over the last several days, I've been compiling those. And today we're going to talk about the answers to those questions. So for time's sake, of course, I can't go really deep with these answers because I'm going to try to get to as many as I can. And and I'm not even going to get to all of them today. I already know that because there was a lot that came in. Um, But I will let you know after answering the questions if there's another podcast episode or if there's like a lesson in the Secret Sister Circle that dives deeper into each of these subjects. So if you do really need more information on any of these questions that you hear, I will try to let you know where you can find that. So as you know, I try to keep my episodes relatively short uh, because I know that it can be really hard to carve out some time to listen privately. And as a wife of an alcoholic, that's usually what we need to do. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to answer as many of the as many of the questions that I can. And I might end up doing like a part two to get to a few more. So let's jump right in. Question number one. Will I ever be able to relax again? My husband is over three months sober, but I am on complete edge all of the time. 
I do my own things. I started school again. But ever since he asked for help, detox, and treatment, I still find myself completely tense all the time. So I can relate to this. <laughs> I definitely was in this mind frame when my when my husband first came home from treatment and, and um, his treatment center, basically. The first thing that I want to say to you is try to stay in the here and now. Operate in the here and now. Do not let fear of relapse consume you because that is not happening. So stay here and now. Stay with what you know to be true right now. Try not to become overly suspicious. Try not to become obsessed with will he relapse. So I talk about how we can be addicted to the addiction and trying to fix it. We can also get into or even stay in those same patterns when our husband has gone to treatment because now we're addicted to is he going to relapse? Is he going to drink again? And like being freaked out about that. So you don't want to live there. That's not what's happening right now. So don't give it your energy. It's a great time to either start focusing or continue focusing on you and your recovery. That will also help you take your focus off of him and the fear that he's going to relapse. There is a lesson in the SSC that does cover this. Um, it's called How to Handle Relapse. It also includes best practices for when your husband comes home for recovery. So before there's a relapse, or, you know, hopefully there won't be, but it talks about what to do when he comes home. Um, it talks about what to do if relapse happens. So what if it does go worst case scenario? What do you do? So if you need more detailed support around that, you can find it in the SSC in that lesson. Question number two. I listened today about how we should not engage with our husband about his addiction while he's intoxicated. When he's not intoxicated, how do you approach the subject without sounding controlling? I feel like I've tried every emotion possible when I've engaged with him, but he still seems to feel attacked or aggravated with me when I even bring up anything concerning counseling or help of any kind. This makes me beyond frustrated and angry. So for this one, <clears throat> while it may be necessary at times to express our feelings or concerns about our husband's drinking. I always recommend that if you do feel the need to have that conversation, that it is a prayed about, God-led conversation. The reason for that is God knows when and if your husband is ready to hear you. He knows how, how what you have to say will be received. We don't, right? And a lot of times it's not received very well because our husband was not in the right headspace, heart space, whatever, to hear our concerns. Another thing to remember is that you really need to understand that if your husband is not ready, there's nothing you're going to say in that conversation that's going to change whether or not he's ready. So we kind of need to carefully weigh all aspects of that conversation before we have it. It needs to be God-led. It needs to be when your husband is in the right headspace, which, of course, God is the one who really knows that. Um, it just It's something to really weigh carefully. If all signs point to that, what's probably going to happen when you have that conversation, it's just going to result in more frustration for you and not going to change anything on his side, then is having that conversation even necessary right now? 
all things to consider, right? So we did talk a little bit more about this in episode 47. That one is called, Should I Confront My Husband About His Drinking? So you may want to go back and listen to that. Um, it'll give you a little bit more guidance there. And there is also in the Secret Sister Circle, I have a lesson called Communication. And it is all about how to have these conversations. When, why, how, where, what, etc. So that's there for you if you need it. Number three. How do you not confront your husband when you know that he is drinking and driving? I have a hard time separating myself from his behavior when it comes to this because I do not want an innocent person to die. I have to admit that I have taken his keys from him in the past, and sadly, my sons have too. I know that this is a controlling behavior, but I don't want someone else's life to be changed forever, which obviously that is a very real concern, right? In this instance, I think that you need to ask yourself, what is the true motivation for taking the keys? You kind of have, have to have like a heart to heart with yourself, right? So if it really is solely because you fear he will hurt another person, then that's one thing. But if it is a controlling behavior, then that's another. If you're concerned he'll hurt someone, there's always the option to call the police on him when he leaves. Because if he is in a vehicle and he is intoxicated, they will definitely ensure that he doesn't drive any further. So that's another route you could go. Number four, how was your family, specifically your parents, with your decision to stay? Did they support you or did they encourage you to leave? How did your, how did your children handle it? Do they have a good relationship with their dad now that he's sober or do they have resentment? So I did not let my parents in on everything that was going on in my situation until the first time that my husband tried to take his life. For those of you who don't know, there were two suicide attempts before he got sober. The first, he was missing for 24 hours, and that was very unlike him. He wasn't ever really a bar guy. Um, he was always a drink-at-home guy or drink-in-your-car guy, but he never really like went out and stayed out all night. So for him to be missing for even a few hours was very unusual. So obviously missing for 24 hours. It was actually more than 24 hours, all told. But um, there was a big problem at that point. And at that point, there were also no more secrets. Like everybody knew. Everybody knew what was happening at that point. They were obviously very concerned for me. But they never really told me directly what they thought I should do. They never really said either way, you know, we back your decision to stay or we think you absolutely need to leave. There wasn't really any line in the sand where they were concerned. So they kind of, I guess, just were trusting my judgment in that moment and at that time. Um, for my children, they did have a hard time with it while he was drinking. Of course, it was very difficult for all of us who were in the household. My son was very little at the time. He was between like three, three to five-ish uh, I also have a daughter who lives with me who's grown, so she was here. Um, my son doesn't really remember much of it. My daughter, it was definitely hard for her while we were going through it, but she also felt a lot of sadness about what my husband was going through. Um, she was really concerned for him, obviously, for his drinking and for his safety, especially after he tried to to take his life. So... It was hard during that time, but she also felt that sadness and I think um, sympathy for him and just wanted him to get better. All of my kids now, 
Uh, my daughter who does not live at home, my daughter who does live at home, and my son all have a great relationship with him now. They are all very proud of him for you know, being in recovery for as long as he has. They're all very thankful that he made it through and that he's still with us. And they're great about communicating that to him. So I'm super thankful that all of those relationships have been restored. I do also have a lesson on kids and addiction and the SSC that dives deeper into how to support them. Um, there's also a podcast episode that I did on that as well. So if you need more guidance specifically around how to help children through this, those two things would be good resources for you. Number five, how do you suggest managing finances? The spouse is unwilling and unable to talk budgets and consistently spends far too much money on his addictions, which is alcohol and cigarettes in this instance. There is very little money left for the bills and none for savings or retirement. He owns a home improvement company and has lost interest in earning money for our needs. He does the very least he has, he has to to get by. Meanwhile, I'm working two jobs to help cover, and this is very frustrating. And then someone else also wrote in a question to say that her husband is causing a lot of overdraft fees because of his spending on alcohol and things like that. So in my situation, our finances have always been separate. So we have separate bank accounts. We basically just... Um, you know, come come together financially to pay the bills each month, but we have separate accounts and we always have. At the time when he was really going through it, I was making most of the money. So this didn't really affect us that much. Um, he definitely could not work and was not working for the last few months at all, both due to drinking day afternoon or morning, afternoon and night. And also he was struggling with bipolar disorder. So he was in a deep depression. So he was not working, which of course did affect us some. But as I said, I was making most of the money. So it was just kind of a situation where we didn't have as much extra, but I was still able to cover the part of the bills that he was not. But aside from that, I do always encourage any wife in this situation, whether finances are together, separate, whatever, to definitely take some steps to protect yourself financially because you never know. I mean, you, you may already be having these types of problems, but there might be some other people who are listening who are not having those types of problems, but may in the future, or there may be a DUI, or there may be an accident with liability or whatever. So we do really need to take some steps to protect ourselves. Um, you know, things like having some money set aside separately, having, you know, certain things in your name, stuff like that can be really, really helpful. So I can't obviously dive into all the intricacies of that here and now, but I do have a lesson on that as well in the Secret Sister Circle. It's uh, basically how to set things up to protect yourself. So if that is something that you are concerned with, and really we all kind of should be concerned with that given our situation, that is um, something that could probably help you. Number six, how do you get past the smell? I want to snuggle and be intimate, but the smell makes me sick to my stomach. I have to open our windows in the middle of the night due to the smell. And obviously, this is the smell of alcohol. You cannot hide that in any way, shape, or form. And yes, I think that most of us as wise alcoholics most definitely have gotten to the point where we are uber sensitive about that smell. Quick aside here. I am so glad that my husband was not still drinking when COVID was happening because one of my main triggers, and it's actually PTSD um, that, that arose from the trauma of 
you know, him drinking and the things that would happen when he was drinking and the panic that I felt because of it. One of my main triggers for a long time after he stopped drinking was the smell of hand sanitizer because it has a high alcohol content. And I would smell that. And like I said, thank God there wasn't COVID back then because people didn't use it anywhere near as much. But I would smell that even, you know, from somebody just around me that I didn't even realize was putting it on. And I would immediately have like heart palpitations and feel like I was kind of having a little bit of a panic attack from that because it was uh, that was a trigger for me. So yes, alcohol can definitely be something that is just a trigger in our mind. And obviously, it's really unpleasant too. So in my situation, what I ended up doing was I created a boundary of my own on my side that I would not be intimate with my husband when he was inebriated. And that was for a couple of reasons. It was because of the smell, which was very unpleasant. But it was also because I literally couldn't do it towards the end when he was, you know, really bad and really drinking a lot because it didn't even seem like him. You know, it, it didn't even seem like my true husband, my real husband was really even around that much. I do not believe that as wives, we are always, quote unquote, obligated to have sex with our husbands, regardless of the circumstances. I do not believe that. Period. End of story. Which is why I actually did a lesson on that <laughs> in the in the Secrets of Circle. It's called Navigating Your Physical Relationship. Because I know that, you know, some people think that that is like a wifely duty, quote unquote, regardless of what's happening. And I I don't believe that. I think that there are boundaries that need to be set in certain situations, and I think a lot of times this can be one of them. Number seven, God's truth tells us that two become one through marriage. Please help me understand how to be unified with my spouse when I feel so alone. I'm working on detachment with love and struggling with this. I long to have us unified, working together and for each other, and yet addiction pulls us apart. Do you have concrete examples of what detachment might look like in a unified marriage? So I know that this is something that can be really confusing. This was really confusing for me. I did not understand when I first heard about detachment, I thought it was dumb because I didn't understand why in the world I would detach from my, from my husband who obviously needed me so badly right then. Now I know the, that that's faulty thinking. But back then, detachment in general did not make sense. Then when I started understanding the value of it, it... I found it hard because to me, it felt like it was either one or the other. Either I was all in with him or I didn't care what he was doing. And I was just like, like, tur like turning completely away from him. And sometimes when we don't understand it or do it correctly, detaching, trying to detach can turn into being cold or uncaring, but that is not what it is meant to look like. We are detaching from the addiction not the person. But I do understand that that can feel very confusing and hard to do, which is why I did a podcast episode on this subject. If you have not listened to it, it is number episode number 11. It's called The Difference Between Detaching and Emotional Abandonment. So be sure to listen to that one for more guidance on this because it can be a very confusing subject. I also do have a lesson in the Secret Sister Circle that covers this as well. It's called Managing the Roller Coaster of Emotions. So there is also some guidance in there if you need more support around that. Number eight, I'm so scared for my kids' future. I'm scared that they will live the life of addiction because they are growing up in it. How do I protect their future now? So this is a super important subject, clearly. 
I do have an episode about this specifically. It's episode number 39. It's called What About My Kids? So please listen to that. I do also have an entire lesson in the SSC called Kids and Addiction. So that can help you further. Both of those give a lot of resources to help children and teens through this. But I will tell you that one thing that I will mention, and I did go over this also in um, in both the lesson on Kids and Addiction and Episode 39, is the Hazelden Betty Ford Children's Program. It is online. It is free. It is great. So please, if I could just give you one, one quick resource right now to help them, it would be that. It helps them deal with having an addicted parent. It helps them understand it. It teaches them what that person is going through, which I think is really important, really important. And it also is good for laying a foundation to help them make a different choice when they get to that point in their life. So that is the one resource that I would um, recommend for you just right off the bat. But in addition, like I said, episode 39 is about that. And I do have a whole lesson, video, worksheet, resources, all of that in the Secret Sister Circle that covers that too. Number nine, I've made the decision to leave with our two kids. I've left two times in our 14-year relationship due to continued drinking, lying, and gaslighting. I want this time to be the last time. I'm highly codependent and always believe in the hope of what would be if he didn't drink, and that is why I go back, because I believe he will stop. What is your best advice for reassuring that leaving is the right decision and to not talk yourself out of it? It's hard because it's not my husband that I want to leave. It's the alcoholic that I want to leave. This one actually for me on the outside looking in is a pretty easy answer. If you have prayed about this and you feel like leaving is what the Lord is guiding you to do, then I would stay rooted in that trust knowing that God will never steer you wrong. So basically pray about it or if you prayed about it and you feel like that's what you need to do, God is not going to steer you wrong. So that's my... That's my quick answer for that. Number 10. Thank God my spouse has not had alcohol in two months. When he finally realized he had a problem, we had a couple of good heart-to-heart conversations. But since then, we haven't talked about it. I told him I'd prefer if he not tell me what was going going on because I didn't want to feel like I had to provide my input or approval or disapproval of what he's choosing to do. So it's been two months since those conversations, but now I'm really just curious. Whatever he's been doing, it's working. Has he been going to AA, getting help from a therapist? My question for you is, it is okay to ask. If so, then how do I ask? I definitely don't want to insert myself into any sort of decision process, but I do feel like as a spouse, I should know what's going on behind the scenes and also what the plan is going forward. So things like, are we ever going to tell the kids? What are we going to do over Thanksgiving with the relatives? What if I have, what if I want to have a drink either socially or even if it's just the two of us? So I think that there is a couple of things that are important here. The first is I would absolutely acknowledge his progress and let him know that you're proud of him, let you know that you let him know that you believe in him and be supportive for sure. But I don't think that I would ask for any details if they're not being offered. So it's kind of like a um if it's not broken, don't try to fix it type of thing. Like if it's working, then it's working. And I think that if if he wanted to share more with you, then he would be. 
So acknowledge the progress, definitely be supportive, but I don't think that I would try to pry into any more details right now if they're not being given, if that makes sense. And since he's new to recovery, I would probably not broach the subject about talking to the kids. Um, That conversation can probably wait, being like really new in recovery. That might be something that, you know, they're really not trying to think about or focus on. They're trying to focus on themselves and getting better. So I think that that conversation would be better for another time. As far as drinking yourself, I always recommend that you try to refrain, especially if your spouse is new to recovery, because that is going to be a trigger for them. That accessibility, if it's in the house, is going to be, you know, definitely something that could be hard for them. So I think it's important that you think about that, at least while they're new in recovery. I did actually another podcast episode about that. It was episode 28. It's called Should You Drink If Your Husband Is an Alcoholic? And I dive a little bit deeper into that in that episode. So that would probably be a good one for you to listen to right now. And then also there is a lesson in the Secret Sister Circle um, that I mentioned earlier that talks about how you can support your spouse once they enter recovery. So that would probably be something that could be helpful for you too. So that was 10 questions. Let's see. How long did that take? 23 minutes, not too bad. My goal was to keep this under 30, so we're doing okay. <laughs> so uh, this and this is just for the por- this portion, obviously. There's going to be like a little bit at the beginning and a little bit at the end of the podcast, so it will, we should be right about, um, right about 30 minutes. So that is the first Q&A. I hope you found that helpful. I am pretty certain that some of those questions were probably some of your questions as well. So I hope that that was was some good information for you. And like I said, I got a ton more questions, so I probably will be doing a um, additional Q&A, I guess, part two coming up in the very near future. So stay tuned for that. As always, thanks so much for listening, and I will see you next time. quick question for you before I let you go today. Have you been to the Married to Addiction website? If you haven't, I would love if you would go pay it a visit. It's just marriedtoaddiction.com. And over there, you can see um, just a lot of different information about my podcast. There is a blog on there. There's some free resources for you. And there's also a few ways that you can actually get some help if you need a little more help and direction and support as you travel this difficult path with your addicted husband. So if you haven't yet, please go visit marriedtoaddiction.com. Thanks so much.